Broadcasting from Littlehampton, UK, this is the Man Up Podcast. From Sorted Magazine, official sponsor, stagiversary.co.uk. Loading in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hi, this is Steve Legg on the Sorted Magazine Man Up Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Welcome to our first podcast of the new year. Uh, and on today's show, we have some very special magical guests. Those of you who know me well will know that for the last 31 years, I've been traveling the world doing comedy magic. Um, now, we always have to say, if you don't find it funny, it's just magic. But there we go. Uh, anyway, fans of TV show Britain's Got Talent may remember the 2017 mind reading finalist DNA, who impressed Simon Cowell, the man who notoriously hated magic acts, to comment that they were, and I quote, incredible. Well, the lads were about to embark on a national UK tour, so I decided to have a chat to DNA, Darren Sarsby and Andrew Murray, to find out what has happened to them after losing out in the Britain's Scott Talent finals. It's an absolute cracker. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show and make sure you tell your mates. Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about life before Britain's Got Talent. So Andrew was um, just a magician. He did um, corporate events, all stuff for adults, whereas I did that and also was predominantly a children's entertainer um, for 15 years. But we started being friends um, about seven years ago now, and we decided we wanted to create something unique, something that other magicians and people in the magic world weren't performing. So we decided to come up with a, a mind-reading telepathy act, something that was totally unique to us. Um, and we found it very difficult, really, to sell it to people because it's very hard explaining that, you know, uh, we're like like magicians but also mind-readers and we do something different to everyone else. It was very hard explaining it. So we used to try and perform at each other's gigs whenever we could um, and then, you know, try and get some marketing materials along the way. But again, it proved very difficult. So that's why we decided to do Britain's Got Talent so we could be seen by millions of people. How did you first get into magic? We both got into magic from a young age. For me, I went to a summer camp and I was introduced to magic at the age of 11 by somebody else that was in my dormitory that performed magic and I just got what they call the magic bug. And I decided from that point on, I needed to know how everything to do with magic worked. So back in those days, the best way to learn magic was from a book. So I went to a library. I went to a magic shop um, in central London, which is no longer there. It's called Alan Allen's Magic Spot. And that's where I first got introduced to magic and magic literature. Whereas me, I liked magic from a very early age, and I met somebody who taught me how to do children's parties, uh, a guy called Papalani, and um, yeah, he kind of sparked my passion for performing on a regular basis, albeit it was at children's parties, but you know, it, it was still in the vein of magic, and I could also you know, do adult events in the evenings and stuff, uh, and yeah, I just loved getting the reactions from people. When did you meet, and when did you decide to become a double act? So Andrew and I met at an event, um, when was this, 2010 or 11? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So it was yeah. seven or eight years ago we met, 
and I was performing at an event and Andrew was a guest and I'd already heard Andrew's name and I had it, had a, a note on my phone actually with all of his details. I had his like email, his phone, his phone number, his website and everything. And then finally we met and I showed him something that I thought would definitely fool him and it didn't. Um, and we ended up meeting for a coffee a couple of days later and just hit it off as friends straight away. And at the time we just wanted to perform together. It was way more fun driving to events, hanging out at events, performing on people together. And we thought, how can we turn this into something that isn't two magicians performing alongside each other, where we can actually create one act. So like we said at the start of the interview, we wanted to create something totally unique, something that other people weren't doing. They could see a difference between us and another magical mind reading act. And, and hopefully we've created that. Simon Cowell used to hate magic. What made you want to audition for BGT? We've been thinking about entering BGT for a few years before we actually did it. And we had this preconceived notion that unless we came out and did something to amaze everybody instantly, we'd get four buzzers. And I think we just got to the point where we just felt that the act was right. We had the confidence to be able to come out and deliver the performance that we were certain would get a good reaction should everything go right. And on the day, everything did go right. And as they say, the rest is history. I think the thing we were worried about, weren't we, of like saying, oh, we're mind readers. And then then it's going buzz, buzz. Because people had like, like you said, preconceptions about mind readers being boring or nerdy or, or whatever. And we just wanted to, you know, not give them the chance. If you look back at our audition, Andrew comes out and says, says hello. And actually I pop up by the judges and I don't even give them a chance to interview Andrew. We just go straight into it. So, so yeah, that's why we decided, even though he used to hate magic, why we decided to do it. Were you worried it could go horribly wrong? Well, in answer to your question, it did go horribly wrong for us. Um, (laughs) Only in the final. Oh yeah. No, anyway, we'll go into that later. Um, yeah, I think with what we do, we are very much on the, um, what would you say, Andrew? We're like on a, on, on a knife edge whenever we perform. Absolutely. It can go right or it can go wrong. Uh, I think that's that's the thrill of what we do as performers. You know, we don't perform a show and it's the same outcomes every time. Every time people have a free choice of what to choose. Um, or and, what to think about. Or what to think about. And where we don't have any control of that, we, it can go wrong. And it has gone wrong many, many times. I think the thing is, we have spent years and years um, honing our craft, getting it wrong in bars, clubs, restaurants, um, you know, just on friends and family, to the point where really we kind of got it down to such a small percentage that when it does go wrong, we just brush up, brush it off and move on. After we beat ourselves up, yeah. Yeah, beat each other up and then beat ourselves up. Exactly. Sonic Man Up Podcast. These guys are great. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. However, not as good as America will be when I am done with it. Healthy friendships are important. Friends who listen, laugh, challenge, and offer sound counsel. Who has time for that? We do. Why not have a stagiversary? Unite both old and new friends over a day, weekend, or even longer. But this time round, you set the agenda. At Stagiversary, we believe in fun and adventure. But most of all, helping you to create space to rest, refuel, and reconnect with the important people in your life. What are you waiting for? Visit staggiversary.co.uk, inquire within, and let us do the rest. Steve Legg brings you the best podcast every single month. It's so great. 
He's a great guy. No one knows more about great podcasts than me. The features, the interviews, even the adverts. It's a great show. Fantastic. Enjoy the show. So this is Steve Legg, back with the DNA Boys, talking all things Britain's Got Talent. Do friends in the business advise against it? The simple answer is no, because we kept it a complete secret from everyone except our closest friends and family yeah. uh, that we were even entering the competition. We didn't need the additional pressure. We didn't really want anybody to talk us out of doing it once we'd made our mind up. Yeah, and we're very secretive people anyway. So, as magicians, I should say. Was there anything you did specifically to prepare for going on the show? We actually had the opportunity to go into an office in London and run through our entire rehearsal in front of three different groups of people. And that gave us the chance to make sure what we did once we got on stage wasn't the first time we'd done it. It's really hard to prepare for a performance at the London Palladium when you know you're getting up in front of 3,000 people. So we did it three times in front of three groups of four people. And that gave us enough confidence that if we could pull it off in such a close environment for so few people... Uh, 3,000 shouldn't be uh, too much of a step away from that. Yeah, and obviously the, the other thing you didn't mention there was it, in terms of timing. So when you perform an audition, they want you to kind of do it within a few minutes. Um, so we had to make sure like the timing and the rhythm of what we do was right and we were on the money with it, especially with the, like, the T-shirt change and stuff. Um, there was like different layers to our audition. So yeah, we had to you know not just perform it in our homes, which we did plenty of like hundreds of hours practicing in our homes the audition but also sort of doing it in the in a live pressure environment it gave us the opportunity to cut stuff out uh, put stuff in reconsider certain words and things like that like even um even when i get simon cow's pad and say may i and turn it around and show the audience the only reason we did that is because we filmed and actually it's on our instagram we posted it about a year ago um one of those uh early kind of practice runs I just grabbed someone's pad and turned it around and she was like do you know what actually it's a bit more polite if you say may I so yeah we put a lot of effort and, and work into the lead up to the audition how did the standing ovation at the London Palladium feel getting a standing ovation at the London Palladium in front of 3,000 people as a mind reading double act as performers it's really a dream come true it's something that you know, you think about when you're younger or, you know, when you're practicing or when you're gigging, doing normal stuff or through all the hard times, you know, the bad gigs, the, you know, all that stuff to actually get that confirmation that people have enjoyed what you've done to the point where they want to stand up and applaud you is a feeling that I've never experienced before. And, you know, it was something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And I think the thing is, going into the audition process, really the best that we well the best that we hoped for was to get four yeses, and getting a standing ovation was really the icing on the cake. Tell us a bit more about your journey on the show. So it was a really amazing journey. It's a bubble that um, you're in, and when you're in it, nothing else is real life. Um, but actually, when you come out of it, you realise that the bubble wasn't real life. It's a very bizarre situation. Our first audition was amazing we had about a month to wait before we were told that we were through to the live semi-finals um for me on a personal level that was a really big deal because i'd been working for my agency for nearly 15 years doing children's parties and i knew that i didn't want to air on a saturday night 
on Britain's Got Talent, and then the next day go and perform at a children's party. So I knew that if I got through to the live semi-finals, it would change my life and I'd have to give it up. So I knew that when I was going for dinner the day after the you know the live res- the, the results of whether I'm through to the live final or not, um, I was either going to tell my agency, hey, I'm not working for you anymore and, I, and I've got through to the live semi-finals, or I'm um, tried to do Britain's Got Talent, it didn't work out for me. Luckily, it was the first um, in- instance, which I'm really thrilled about. Um, semi-final aired, it, uh, sorry, the audition aired, and it trended on YouTube number one for two days. We went viral. We hit the news in Australia. It really was incredible. We had like lots of like all the all the local and national papers talking about us with the t-shirt change. I think it really captured people because it was so for me. And I hope this doesn't come across in an arrogant way, but I don't really remember an audition, a magic audition where. I've had a trick pulled on me at home. You watch something and it's like, you know, we're really good friends with like Jamie Raven who did Britain's Got Talent before us. And, you know, like he did stuff where you watch it and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. How the hell does he do that? But you don't have a trick performed on you. Whereas us, we performed a trick on all the, all, the whole audience at home. Um, so yeah, we're really proud of that. The semi-final was incredible. Um, we won the show to go straight into the final. Um, and the final, I'll tell you more about that, that later, but it was left a bit of a bittersweet taste in our mouth, to put it mildly. But yeah, people think that you do Britain, Britain's Got Talent and then, you, you know, that's the end. But really, it's just the beginning. And literally, at the end of it, it feels like the bubble is popped and you're out in the real world. Can you explain the process behind the scenes? So really, behind the scenes, it's um, a lot of emailing, um, going in and having meetings, um, a lot of secrecy because, you know, they don't want the result coming out of whether you're through. So you're not really allowed to tell anyone whether you're through to the lives or not. Um, But really, there's not much more to say other than the fact that we just work really hard leading up to it. The other thing I wanted to add is that Britain's Got Talent is a very, very well-oiled machine. So when you're working on that show, everybody, and there's so many people that work on that show, they all have a role and they pull everything off with almost what appears to be zero effort. But it's a lot of hard work and they're very, very good at their job and getting the show looking as slick as it does. It's like organised chaos, really, isn't it? It's, It's really amazing to see. How do you put together new material, guys? Actually, this is one of the most difficult things for all performers. Darren and I are very conscientious when it comes to choosing material and putting new material in the act. We always try to innovate rather than just take something that's an existing idea and just make a minor tweak to it. So in truth, what we do is we go through a process which is a lot of experimentation, a lot of rejecting ideas that we think at the time are brilliant, Um, And actually putting new material in is actually quite a slow process. But as I said at the beginning, we're very conscientious that it really has to make the grade before it goes into the act. Yeah, I think the thing that Andrew didn't mention is we will normally die in front of an audience first. um, And then after we do that a couple of times, it starts to resemble what is the bones of of a routine. And then from there we build. So, yeah, we get things wrong way before we get it right. And, you know, before we can put, like, for example, our theatre show, the stuff that's going in there, we've been working on uh, the material for years. When whiling away the days, months and years of the Shawshank State Penitentiary, 
I love nothing more than to listen to the Sordid Man Up podcast. Fear can hold you captive. Man Up can set you free. Here we still are, chatting to mind-reading Britain's Got Talent finalist, DNA. So did you make any friends with any of the other acts or the judges? We kind of kept ourselves to ourselves, to be totally honest. Um, we made a few friends. There was a crazy Dutch magician called Niels Harder, who is still a friend today. Uh, we absolutely love him. He's a real nutter, um, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, we we really like Tokyo. Um, you know, Matt Edwards is really nice. Yeah, we were kind of we were friendly with everyone we spoke to, but we did kind of keep ourselves to ourselves. We knew that in a competition there can be sort of jealousy and and all that kind of stuff, and we just didn't want to attract any of those kind of feelings around us. So we just put our heads down. Any of the group meetings where we would meet with all the other performers, we'd be friendly, say hello, but then we'd kind of you know go off and do our own thing. So yeah, we kind of were very friendly with. The people that we saw, we were friendly with the production. Simon Cow was lovely to us. Amanda, Alicia, David, they were all so lovely. But I wouldn't say that we made friends with them. If we saw them, and we've seen Alicia since, we've seen... Uh, we, you saw Simon, didn't you, Andrew? Uh, um, X Factor. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, it's, it was an amazing experience. But no, we didn't kind of make friends for life, to be honest. How were your nerves on the live final? You must have been terrified. As you can imagine, our nerves were fairly high in terms of the live final. We'd had the experience earlier in the week of performing live on the semi-final and everything went really well. But for the kind of act that we have, you know, we really have to focus on what we say and what we do. And I think there is a degree of trepidation there because you're always aware that things can not go according to plan. So I think nerves just keep you focused, really. I think the thing to mention as well is we, in our audition and our semi-final, we had practised and rehearsed so much that we could literally perform it in our sleep. Would you say that's a fair? Yeah, that's true. Um, We just knew exactly what we were saying, what we were doing, how we were standing, where we were walking. All we had to do was focus on our nerves. We had to focus on nothing else. Um, I know we're going to come to it later, but the live final... um, really, because we changed our act on the day, we didn't have time to really rehearse or practice. So that's why, you know, our nerves did get the better of us in the end. And and that's why we've never watched it back since. Um, so, yeah, the nerves were high, but it's something that we could handle if we knew that we were prepared in other ways. Yeah, I mean, in truth, things didn't go according to plan. That's just one of those things. And that's the uh, pleasure of performing live on TV. Yeah. Guys, let us into a secret here. There was a bit of a stumble in the trick in the final. Do you think that added to the authenticity of the act? That's actually a really good question. And I think it was Simon Cowell that said that making the mistake, in a way, made us feel more human to the audience at home. And there's always a a school of thought in mind reading or mentalism, as it's known, that people or other performers intentionally don't get everything right because it definitely adds to the feeling that what people are watching is absolutely genuine. And for us, the truth is things don't always go according to plan. And there is always the chance that we get a word wrong or a number wrong or somebody changes their mind, you know, halfway through the process. Um, And we end up with a little bit of egg on our face. But do I think it adds to the authenticity? 
without question. Well, I actually disagree, to be honest. We should have probably discussed this before uh, we answered the question. But for us, we are perfectionists. We don't like to get things wrong. I'm always a case of I don't ever want to get anything wrong. Andrew's quite happy to miss slightly. He thinks it makes us more authentic. I don't particularly like that. Um, In terms of getting things wrong in the final, it was just a genuine mistake that the nerves got the better of us. Um, and, and yeah, we would change things if we could. What advice would you give to anyone considering going on BGT? My advice to anyone considering going on BGT uh, would be if you're passionate about something and you want it to reach millions of people, then go for it. If you think you're going to do it and become a millionaire overnight, then I'd say don't. Um, it's a case of, it, 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 really, it's, it's what you want to get out of it. Really, it would be that would be if somebody asked me the question, I would want to know what they would want to get out of it. If they want to go on it because they want to become famous and be a millionaire, then I would say that it might not be the right place for them. If somebody's passionate about what they want to do and they want to take whatever they're doing to the next level, um, then it's a really amazing place to showcase your skill and your talent. The one thing that I wanted to add to that is if you are considering doing the show, go in with a really positive attitude and try to enjoy every moment because it's over in the blink of an eye. So career-wise, what has been your biggest high so far? Since coming off the show, we have had the opportunity of performing at some really high-profile events, uh, travelling the world uh, and supporting some really amazing charities. Uh, with that said, I think for us, the, the biggest high is having the opportunity to actually have our own UK tour, which obviously starts in February and runs through February and March, and having the support of the public who you know pay money to come and see us and support us. Yeah, I think that the fact that people are going to invest themselves as well to dedicate that day and that time to come and see us and support us and you know enjoy what we do. Um, it, like I said before, it's like, it's like affirmation that all this hard work has been worthwhile and it's something that we've dreamed about, we've worked so hard to get to this position. We're just so grateful and so thankful for anyone that would you know, come and see us live and, and that is the biggest high for us. What do you say to anyone asking how you do what you do? This is a really simple question to answer. I always say, very well, thank you very much for asking. What's next for DNA? Tell us about your dreams. In all honesty, we have just had this UK tour as our main focus for the last kind of six months. We've been practicing, rehearsing material, um, and, and really we've only been focusing on that because really if you'd have asked us what our dream was a year ago, it would have been to have our own UK tour. So we feel like our dream has come true um, and it's been a lot of hard work to get here. I think really the, the ultimate goal for us, our biggest dream we could ever dream of, would be to have our own show in Las Vegas, the home of magic, um, where the likes of David Copperfield and you know Lance Burton and the greats like Matt King that perform there, to be even uttered in the same breath as any of those names would be incredible. And that is the ultimate dream. Now, lads, without giving away too many secrets, what can we expect to see on the new tour? We've worked really hard to put together an amazing show for our new tour. And we're not going to give away any secrets. Suffice to say that when people come to the show, it's going to be a very immersive experience. We try to get as many people involved as possible. I think if you've seen us on TV... 
seeing us on Britain's Got Talent. It'll be everything you've seen and way more. So it's good family fun for all ages. Um, and yeah, we're just really excited to share what we've been working on with everyone. And we hope that everyone leaves having had a great time. We just want to say as well, a huge thank you to you guys at Sorted Magazine for having us. We are so excited that you're featuring us in your magazine. And uh, thank you very much. And we look forward to all of you coming to the theatres. If you do come along, make sure you stay at the end of the show and come and say hi. Donald Trump here, leader of the free world. Speaking of free, you're listening to the Man Up Podcast. In the latest bumper edition of Sorted Magazine, big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men for life. Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone, and I play it tough. You're listening to the Sorted Man Up Podcast. This is what we do. Well, that's about it for now. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Lots of great guests and surprises coming up this year. So please do subscribe. A huge thank you to my special guest, DNA. Do go and see them on tour throughout February and March. You do not want to miss these guys. Until next time, this is Steve Legg and friends on the Sorted Man Up podcast. Do encourage your mates to subscribe and download and share on Facebook and Twitter. Help us get the word out. See ya. That was the Man Up podcast. They'll be back. You've been listening to the Man Up podcast from Sorted Magazine. Recorded, edited and delivered by FlagshipRecording.com.